Hello and welcome to Superposition, the show where I share 100% organic, free-range, and FDA-approved opinions on topics concerning China and the U.S. I'm your host, Seed, and I'm Hanson. Today, we're joined by our guest, Professor Cam Johnson, to discuss the meaning of home. Enjoy. Uh, we have a special guest today, um, Professor Cam Johnson, uh, who's an educator, author, mentor, entrepreneur, supply chain veteran, really interesting guy, and a bunch of other buzzwords. So, uh, Cam, thank you so much for coming on the show. No, Hanson, see, thank you. And I, I think I should record that intro and send it to my mother. So please be sure to send me a clip of that later. Absolutely. <laughs> you can just spam it everywhere. That's right. Yeah. So just want to get a nice intro, uh, Cam, of your experience. Cam, I know you've been in China for over 20 years. Uh, you've been based in Shanghai, if I recall correctly. Uh, you've got experience in various industries, especially in supply chains. Uh, so Cam, if you could just, for our listeners, tell us a little bit about who you are and why you're on the show. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm originally from Seattle. I graduated college uh, a little early in 99 and decided to come to China for a year and basically never left. Uh, I had a bit of a stint back in Seattle at the UW there at the University of Washington, um, but then came right back. Um, yeah, I started out um, actually teaching English and history at a small college in Changchun, uh, which is up by North Korea in China. Uh, I think it was called Waigu Yushui Yuan, if I remember correctly. Um, and so that was, uh, to your point, it was defining for me because one, I was from Seattle and I was not used to a winter that was minus 50. Um, and secondly, it was just really starting at, at least in Dongbei, the transformation that has happened in Chinese society. Uh, so from there, I went to Shanghai, uh, where I got into Microsoft. I worked in various positions there between the joint venture company, uh, Microsoft and Microsoft itself, um, between Shanghai and Beijing for the next eight or nine years. Uh, after that, uh, I went to work for a company that uh, built the Costa Coffee supply chain for everything but the UK. So think of the cups, the napkins, um, things like that, the packaging, essentially. And after that, I got into a company that did carbon fiber. And so we produced products that went on everything from Boeing and Airbus airplanes to the Ferrari and Lamborghini. Uh, hockey sticks, bicycles, and Asia was primarily more in the automotive, um, you know, boating and sporting good areas. Um, and then after that, I decided to kind of do something else. And so for the last couple of years, I've been working on my own and my own business, really helping um, companies, whether they're foreign or domestic in their manufacturing and supply chains. Um, and one of the things I'm really proud about is during the pandemic, particularly in the early days, we were uh, one of the few boots on the ground to really go into the factories, do inspections and help, um, you know, help those not just in the U.S., but also in Europe um, get PPE. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, Cam, I, I believe you were featured on PBS, one of the documentaries, uh, really high production quality. And I remember you were uh, interviewed for securing PPE for American hospitals while, while you were in China. That's right. Yeah. I haven't left yet. It's been a couple of years. So, yeah, it was called <laughs> yeah. America's Medical Supply Chain. Yeah, that's a pretty cool title. Uh, America's Medical Supply Chain. Yeah, it's a big title. Uh, another one to the list. I'll re-record the intro for you, Cam. Sure. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I want to move to the next part, but just very briefly, I'm curious, what's that initial thing that uh, 
kind of prod you to move to China because that's not a very Euro thing to do, especially back then, right? No, most of my friends had gone off to Europe or Central America. You know, I remember one friend that told me why I'm spending six weeks on a beach in Ecuador, and I just remember that is not what I want to do. I think partly it was just the um, you know the adventurous part, right? We all, at least my generation, we grew up with.、Um, There were a lot of cartoons, Indiana Jones, right?、Um, Magnum PI. There was all of these adventure shows when I grew up, and so part of it was that. The other part is that when I was a kid, when I was in middle school, I applied for a study abroad program in China, and I was rejected. And I think partly that has always stuck with me. You know what? I always wanted to go back, or I always wanted to go to China. And so, interesting. When the opportunity came, I also said, "Well, I graduated college. Why not? I'll go there for a year and see what happens." And that was well, twenty-two years ago. Cool. Well, Cam,、uh, I bet there's there's so many conversations we could have、uh, based on your very interesting mix of background, right? In different industries, different parts of the industry. Supply chain itself is a huge topic, especially with COVID.、Uh, it's very top of mind.、Uh, and entrepreneurship,、uh, being an author, being a mentor. We could keep going on and on,、uh, and you've been interviewed over and over for those different topics. So for today's podcast,、uh, actually, we want to dig into a little bit of、um, more personal topic, which is、uh, what home means or what the sense of belonging means. And one of the questions I would like to pose to to all of us here is: Can you paint us a picture of what you think of when you think of home? Well, that's a good question. Talk about a deep philosophical chat. I mean, I thought it was just a supply chain discussion. No, I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs>、um, no, it's interesting. A home for me has really evolved. You know, as a kid, you know, of course, home is where the house you grew up in, the family around you,、um, and of course, there's the famous saying, "Home is where the heart is."、Um, but when I think about now, you know, what do I really miss? What is really home?、Um, It really comes down to experiences and things like food or music,、um, you know. So, for example, one of the biggest things I miss here is good, at good Pacific, not Atlantic Pacific salmon. You know, we would just go down、uh, as a kid. We would go down usually to、um, uh, the Indian Reservation or even、uh, downtown Seattle and get salmon fresh off the boat. You know, it's very orangey, tangy salmon. It's incredible.、Um, things like the cheese I grew up with,、uh, and oddly enough, Costco just opened up here. I don't know a year or two ago, and so we can actually get most of that stuff now, particularly the cheese that I grew up with. So home has actually come closer to me now as I've gotten older.、Um, but a lot of the memories, particularly when I go home now,、uh, that I, you know, I'll, I'll drive by something,、um, a building that's still standing. That was there almost forty years ago, right?、Um, and it's interesting coming from Shanghai, which has thirty million people, to my hometown,、uh, which is a navy town,、uh, where when the ships are in, there's about forty thousand. When the ships are out, there's about twenty-five. And so most of the buildings are the same, most of the people are the same. And so really, you know, my two homes that I would consider now are、uh, specifically Shanghai、um, and my、uh, Bremerton, which is close to、uh, the place I grew up in. And to your point, really, those are the memories that come back. When I'll drive by a building, I'm like, "Hey, I remember we did something there in high school." Or、uh, sometimes it's driving by a field.、Um, like we played football games there when I was in Pee Wee's, you know, 30 years ago.、Um, so things like that that come to mind. 
What's interesting is that in Shanghai, when I came in 2001, I lived in a building, and that building now is the cross. I work in this building now that is across the street from it at NYU. Wow! And so, oddly enough, I've come full circle in my life in China and Shanghai.、Um, so, really, for me, when you talk about home, just getting back to your question, is it's the memories of the places,、uh, some of the things that happen, and really the food.、Um, The other aspect is、uh, now that,、uh, thankfully, with the internet, we can listen to、uh, radio from all over the place. So I listen to a lot of U.S. radio, and songs will come on from the '80s or '90s, and I will have flashbacks of where I was or what I was doing, which is weird because that didn't happen before I hit about 40, to be honest. And so now, <laughs> although I hear a song, I'm like, "Hey, that was a great song," and then, of course, your mind kind of drifts, thinking about. The experiences you had while listening to it. A lot of it for me was basketball or sports growing up,、um, and so I would I'll remember games that I played in, or you know, just pick up basketball in different places、um, tied to the music. So, Cam, for you, home comes down to sort of memories、uh, of places, food, music. It's those experiences that call back earlier memories in your life.、Um, it's also smells, you know.、Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll, I'll smell something. I'm like, oh my god, and that just takes you back. It's interesting how, to your point,、uh, these things get imprinted on the memory.、Um, yeah. And now that I've been in, you know, I've been in China longer than any other place I've ever lived. And so even here now, there will be smells that I will smell, and I'll remember it from Changchun. There was,、um, they have a very unique,、um, uh, what's it called, the Jiaozhuang, which is basically a huge. <laughs> Um, dumpling restaurant in Changchun. We would always go there on Saturday night before the club, and there they had a very special type of、um, uh, sesame paste something dumpling. I don't remember the name anymore. And there's actually a Shanghai restaurant here now that just opened that up a couple months ago. When we went there just to kind of for lunch one day, and this smell from this dumpling, and, I, and it literally transported me back,、um, you know, to being 20 years old.、Um, At minus fifty, eating in this restaurant. To your point, so yeah, I think it's interesting, kind of how all that the brain ties it all together. I guess surprising and not surprising to me how, because I always thought、um, only Chinese people miss their food.、Uh, I was like, <laughs> you know, maybe white people don't really miss、uh, white food because、uh, they are not that good. <laughs> But.、Uh, Obviously, that was wrong. I was going to say this is going to be the <laughs> wisest and dumbest thing I've ever <laughs> seen on the podcast. I know, but、uh, that, that's that's my dumb brain、uh, <laughs> thought. But it's just、uh, really surprising, not surprising to me.、Uh, we are all so similar, no, mu- no matter what、um, culture background we grew up. It's those、uh, common things that that、uh, kind of re- reminds me home. So, so my story is going to be actually pretty similar to、uh, to Cam. Even though our age difference, our cultural difference,、um, but I was thinking like, what really brought back me back to being home is is always food, uh, and uh, so I don't know know、uh, if Hanson you know Jianyang,、uh, uh, which is a small town I grew up in,、mm-hmm. and what is famous for it's it's Yang Rou Tang, which is a、uh, lamb stew, I guess.、Uh, Every time I think of home, I always remember during winter time,、uh, and my my mother will sometimes cook or just buy it from the restaurants, and、uh, three of us just drink lamb stew for、uh, three meals. That's all we eat. 
and I always remember that that warm feeling kind of ties back into being home. And that's all, that's all I want during winter time in Boston <laughs> when it's cold. But uh, I can never get uh, good lamb stew in the United States. Uh, another thing that uh, my observation is, it's always the smallest thing. I remember, like it's not. It's always not like uh, some big milestone I achieve in my life. It's mm-hmm. always the smallest thing, like some random sentence I spoke to someone. Uh, yeah, that's that's actually the thing. Uh, you remember, yep. which is really interesting how, how our memory works. Because you would think that um, the day you make to, I don't know, like you made a million dollar or the day you go to promotion, that's what you remember. But that's so fleeting and transient. It's just the mi- minute, small thing you, you end up uh, getting printed in, in your memory. I think it's interesting that both uh, Cam and Seed, uh, the, the way you described what feels like home and it's almost a feeling of being transported back in time and place uh, to something that's familiar. And it's always these minute little things, as Seed, you're saying. It's almost like as if life is a play playing out on a stage and something takes you back to an old stage where a lot of different things played out. But it's not a specific event, right? It's not this day, as you were saying, something significant happened necessarily, but it's this repetitive little thing that used to happen over and over that kind of defined what your life used to feel like. Um, so what about you? I think for me, um, home and childhood are very intertwined in that, you know, I spent the first 18 years of my life in China, of course. But I tend to remember the earlier memories of back in the day, uh, every morning we lived downtown in Chongqing. Uh, and back in the day, we would get down from the apartment building we lived and there would be street vendors with food right next to where we lived. And you would sort of hear the life going on, all the people waking up and, you know, uh, getting ready for work, we would go out to this little noodle shop and they sold something called xiao mian, which is kind of a signature food for Chongqing. It's uh, literally translated as small noodles. Really, it's just more or less plain noodles with no meat or anything like that, a little bit of vegetables and just a very uh, distinct mix of spices that makes it really, really delicious. And I still distinctly remember that my dad would get sanliang. So it's like three units, <laughs> right? It's like the bigger portion and I would get the smaller portion and just the smell of the food and the price. I remember distinctly, it was like, it was like one yuan, a one yuan and 50 cents, right? right? Like given inflation these days, it's a lot more, but it's all those minute details. Uh, it's the lady that gets up every morning and makes something called yocha. Uh, it's another uh, Chinese breakfast food. It's almost like, it's similar to sort of what people call Asian noodles uh, in the US. It's like fried little noodle fragments. And then you put that on this thick rice porridge and then you mix in some spices and you eat it. It's like crunchy. And also it's got this like warm um, porridge around it. It's all the little sounds. Every day my dad would come home from work. I would get home before he does. So every time he takes the keys out of his pocket and dangles it on the chains to look for the right key for the home uh, door, I would come running to the door and open uh, open the door for him. Because I've been trained to really recognize that tiny sound cue. And it's happened hundreds of times in my life that I've been trained like Pavlov's dog, right? Uh, it's all those little things and the smells. And Hanson, it's so funny you say that because my, my son did the exact same thing. When I would come up the stairs and he heard Baba's keys jingle, he would literally come through the, um, uh, the apartment screaming, Baba, and then he would... to. To your point, and it's interesting you said that because, yeah, it is, as a father, it's one of the best joys I've ever had, you know, is that 
um, you know, and kind of building on the, the childhood memories. Um, you know, interesting. Have, ever, have any of you seen the movie Citizen Kane? Yes. So anyway, it's an interesting movie. It's it was done in the forties, but at the end when he's dying, um, the words on his mouth are Rosebud, Rosebud, um, and actually it was a sled of his. And you don't see you don't uh, you don't see the answer till the end of the movie. But to your point, it was about his childhood memory of playing and having fun before this life of um, I would say of loneliness you know came over him. And so you know to your point, those childhood memories are ever more um, in, not only important, but just it's also what binds us. And it's one of the most powerful movers, I would say, in um, a human's mind. Hanson's story is very moving. And uh, here, Cam's response to it is even more touching because uh, I'm, I'm seeing this from a father's perspective, right? Now that memory of uh, his son reacting to uh, the, the sound the keychain made is, is now part of... Uh, part of home for Cam, right? And I wonder, that that's probably the same thing for your father, for Hanson's father, right? When your father thinks of home, uh, your reacting to that sound is probably also part of uh, being home for him. Mm -hmm. It was a mutual definition, right? That was home. Yeah. I'm sure for, for my father, me opening the door and welcoming him home was yeah. part of what home meant. And I think it's a, a big part of this is uh, it's very emotional, and uh, yeah, it's, I, I think it's a sense of familiarity and the mundane things that are now gone, but brings you back to some, um, at the time, mundane, but now nostalgic uh, memories. Yeah, it's like that Chinese poem, right? Which means, uh, then, uh, I guess, then I thought it was mundane, but that's all I could think of nowadays. Mm -hmm. So thanks for sharing the stories. Um, moving on, I want to talk about one thing that we all also share in common, which is we've made a new home. Uh, yeah, Seed, why did you why did you move? What's your story? Yeah, before I jump to that, I just want to mention for our listeners, if you haven't figured out, it's two Chinese people living in the U.S. interviewing a U.S. citizen uh, or U.S. who who grew up in the U.S. now now living in China. So it's a <laughs> kind of interesting interview going on here. Yeah. Um, so the reason why I moved to um, U.S. Uh, is for my education. Um, mm -hmm. Not, I mean, I want to say uh, it, it was driven by my ambition, but to be honest. I think it was many of my father. So my father is an educator himself. Uh, he is very skeptical of the Chinese education system when after high school. So he's not a fan of uh, the college education in China. And uh, I think that's just because he knows too much. <laughs> if, if he knows uh, the, the um, U.S. education system well, he probably have more criticism as well. But uh, <laughs> during then... I think he's, I wouldn't say fantasy, but his vision for me is uh, I should, you know, thrive better in U.S. Uh, in terms of getting a, a college education. So that was the main reason uh, I would think. Um, I wouldn't say I was groomed, but uh, from an early, early age, uh, when I was in high school, he mentioned this uh, concept of going to the United States. I was pretty resistant initially because I, I think that's, a, that's like a cop-out. Uh, that's a lot of people use that escape to not pass the college entrance exam, and that's my fear. Right? That's I don't want to be a escapee to just don't I don't want to do this thing. So I, I, I uh, go to US. So it took me a while to uh, prove to myself that it's not that's not my motivation. 
I, I can survive in both education system, but I choose to um, go to US. But to answer your question, I think, to be honest, the reason why I moved is just because uh, I was convinced my father that that's uh, a better route for me. Uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I think we also leave home to get away from our parents to some degree. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just to your point, kind of reflecting on, um, you know, why do we do it? Why do we travel and leave home? I mean, I, I think of my ancestors who, you know, came on boats 400 years ago, you know, who braved the seas and then landed um, in the Boston area and then kind of over successive generations continued to move west and west and west. And so for them, there never really was a home per se. Home was wherever they made it. Uh, and I also think in today's world, you know, kind of like yourself and Seed, that you guys, the home is wherever you are. Um, right. You are making your homes. And I think there is something um, to that for people um, like us who are more adventurous and who you know, embrace adversity, that this is how we build our lives. Right. Home isn't per a physical place per se. It is much more of a mindset. Right. Home is where the heart is. You know, home is where, you know, family and love is all, all of those kinds of things. Um, yeah, I was reflecting on our on our uh, discussion last night and kind of reviewing my own family history, you know, the, the ancient Russians and, you know, the, um, uh, the Romanis who came from the Far East and they kind of worked their way over for, you know, hundreds of years and then, you know, into um, England and so forth. And I think we all have that at, at some point, right? Um, even you, Hanson, I mean, you've probably gone farther than anybody in your family ever has. Right. Um, which isn't a bad thing. You know, I think it adds to, you know, kind of what is home nowadays. Home is really, you know, your family and your friends. And it also, I think, what in the broader scope, if you really want to get a bit philosophical, it adds to the diversity and the um, the excitement of humanity. Right. I mean, I yeah. there's very few people who know who know what, you know, Dan Damien is. But at least I get on a podcast with two guys and they understand it. I mean, you know, we, yeah, we live in two <laughs> very different parts of the world. I mean, this is this is part of the beauty, you know, of humanity in today's world is that we really are, you know, for lack of a better description, the phrase is, um, you know, the earth is but one country, mankind and citizens. Right. So we're kind of just all together and we all add to that diversity. That is very well put, Cam. Yeah, and to share a little bit uh, on the topic of why we moved, Seed, I have a, a little bit of a similar story, but um, slightly different. So my father is the first in the family, um, to our knowledge, that has been college educated. And so he really puts a lot of emphasis on higher education. He sees it as something that's transformative and something that is, uh, in his mind, the best investment you can make is education for your your children. And... Yeah, so he always supported me going anywhere I wanted. And I think uh, to Cam's point about leaving to get away from parents, I think the way I see it is, uh, I think at that age, especially when I did it, I was you know 16 or 17 when I started thinking about going abroad. It's an age where I want to define myself away from my parents. I want to find who I am. Uh, and there is almost a sense of rebellion that like I don't want to do what everybody else does. And I think some, some of that is still left over. I still try to make all these choices now looking back that I just did it out of trying to be different because I wanted to, I suppose, really find who I am and not just follow uh, other people. Uh, more tactically, really, it just came down to me being a fairly good English speaker in, in high school. And we had an English society. So we had like these student club activities. And one of those things was hosting foreign exchange students and visiting scholars. 
And I would be the interpreter. I would, you know, host these ceremonies and take care of these foreigners. And uh, some of them were from the U.S. And they basically said, hey, you speak English really well. Uh, if you wanted, you could probably go study abroad. And that'd probably be a good experience. Uh, I didn't take it seriously at the time. I was like, no, no way. We couldn't afford that. I, I, I don't know if that's going to happen. But uh, it did end up happening. So I think that maybe planted the seed uh, for the idea a little bit. What's something that surprised you when you first landed uh, in this new country? So for Cam, that would be China. Um, is there something you would r- recall vividly? You know, I, I mean, the weird stuff, I mean, you know, at that age, to be honest, I, I was pretty open to kind of the, you know, Chinese would say the qi guainess or the, just kind of the weirdness of stuff. It was all mm-hmm. different, um, all new, all weird. Um, I do remember, um, surprise may not be the right word, but just being a little uh, kind of like, wow, that, that's definitely something I've never seen. I remember walking through the markets in Chongchun. This is before they had not opened up supermarkets yet. They still only had wet markets. And there were all kinds of things, silkworms, scorpions, um, you know, all kinds of different things. And I remember thinking at that point, this is not something, well, one, that I had ever seen, but two, that anybody would really believe me if I told them (laughs) back home. No bats, right? Sorry? No bats. No, I would say, you know, this is, this is Dongbei, right? This isn't, uh, you know, central China or wherever, you know, southern China. So, um, no, and then it, those kinds of things, you know, I mean, the people, people are people, right? Um, mm-hmm. So it, not, none of that stuff, you know, the, being a foreigner in a foreign land, I mean, none of that stuff really bothered me. Um, in fact, even now, occasionally, you know, people will come up and they'll want a picture or something. And it's always because they are from areas that, have very few foreigners, right? Or their children, and the children want to come up and practice their, you know, hi, how are you? You know, I'm fine, thank you. And you kind of, you guys remember those phrases. So, and I never ever knock people for that because, you know, I, I sincerely believe that generally 98.35% of the time people are sincere about what they're doing. Um, what happened in the 1.65% uh, of the time? You know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh, that's a different discussion. The much longer. That's a different podcast. Uh, <laughs> that we discuss. But, this is um, a happy episode. We're not going to. Yeah, that's right. There. That's right. That's right. So, I, and, you know, kind of your point about home, I mean, home is also part of that, right? Welcoming new things and new adventures and new experiences. Um, in Shanghai, one of the biggest shocks was just the amount of people. Remember, at the time I grew up in the town I grew up in, it was 20,000, 25,000. When the ships were in, it was a Navy town, right? When the ships were out, it was mm-hmm. much less. And so, you know, Shanghai, when I got here, had 20 million people or so. Now it's over 30. And so just the sheer volume of humanity that flows through. I think they said People Square has 5 million people a day that goes through it on the subway or something like that. I mean, that's unheard of anywhere in the world, really. Maybe Maybe Tokyo. Um, India, maybe. Yeah, Delhi, you know, but but remember, they didn't, I get Tokyo did, but you know, no other places really have the subway systems that Shanghai has. Um, right. Singapore, Hong Kong, um, but they don't have the sheer volume of humanity, right? And so I remember those things were always shocking um, just because you come in and it's literally just a wall of humanity and you can't fight it. You know, you have to go with the flow. And like, yeah, you've seen lots of people on TV, but Chunyun, like, you know, the travel right before Spring Festival every year, that is a thing to behold. Uh, it's not fun to be part of. I do not uh, really love being a part of it, but it's a, it's a spectacle. 
and that event is ho- is is solely driven by the sense of belonging. Actually, yeah, right? why people Ooh, tying why people it back bother, to the topic. Yeah, why people bother to uh, make that effort is because they want to go home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Cam, I was curious when uh, when you landed in uh, Changchun. When was that? It was like ninety. 90? It was late August of 99. I don't remember the day. I probably should go back and find the day. But it was the okay. probably the last week of August of 99. Okay. So that's when uh, Hansel and I were... Six years old? Yep. Something like that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think we're, uh, we've done a decent share of making Cam feel old, so uh, I might cut <laughs> that part out. Oh, you know, it's, it's all good. You know, I don't... Uh, Distinguished. You know, my, my, students, my students are about half my age, and so I kind of, you know... It's it's interesting having discussions with them because they're mm-hmm. you know they're also searching for their sense of home right because they're now they're they're master students they're about ready to graduate what do I do next you know and they're trying to find their way and so the discussions with them are, are very interesting about what what is home and what is life and what is the plan right it used to be I want to get married have kids mm-hmm. you know or a, a kid and I want to um, buy an apartment. Right, but that that um, vision is no longer, at least with the younger generation, um, something they want. A lot of them, like, I don't want to have any kids. Like, it's very interesting the change, you know. So, what is home then if you don't have, you know, the kind of the traditional family, right? I mean, the the ancient uh, was it Confucius said, you know, the strength of the nation derives from the integrity of the of the people, right? And so, what is uh, what's the Cheng Yu? I think it's a Chijia Zhiguo. Right, mm-hmm. um, she yeah, and so you know, it's interesting kind of seeing how this has evolved, even just in my time here. You know, where when I came, everybody was get the apartment, right, get married, have be, you know, you have your your kids and the family supports, and now it's kind of evolved into something much different in a very short period of time. All right, before we move on to deeper questions, uh, C, do you have any fun question, fun stories to share uh, about you know things that were surprising? I have stories that are not that fun to share, but uh, <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. So, so when I when I first arrived at uh, United States, I think it was when I was seventeen years old, and I was, uh, I think I landed at uh, Chicago. Is it called O'Hare? O'Hare International Airport. Yep. Um, I told this story in a, in a different uh, in a different podcast. Yep, I've heard but, it. Uh, yeah. So it's pretty funny that uh, I so I lost my I twenty. Uh, summer. I don't know if it's on the planes, le- left it home, but uh, I-20 is the thing that you need to clear the costume. Uh, as a the, foreign the student. US, as a foreign student. Right. Uh, like a very important document. Um, and things are not online. I don't think uh, it's not even online nowadays, but that's a document that I, I absolutely need. Right. Uh, then I landed at Chicago. I realized I don't have that. <laughs> so I got uh, locked out. I got basically locked out by by the United States. Uh, I got asked to go to this dark room. It's not really a dark room, but that's how how we call it. Basically, you cannot use your cell phone. Uh, you have to just sit there wait, waiting for them to check you out. Uh, and it took them probably an hour. So they had to make a phone call to the school to make sure that uh, I was legal uh, to be here. Um, and you know, eventually that cleared out. I, I managed to not get deported <laughs> the day I landed in the United States. Uh, but, um, I think after that, I just keep thinking this is not home. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I already made up my mind. I'm not welcome here, even though it's, it's probably my fault, <laughs> but that's just my first impression of this land 
that uh, I don't belong here. And I look out to the window. Um, it's a huge window. So remember, I haven't really been away home. I haven't really took a flight uh, before I moved to the United States. So probably my third time being being uh, any airport, <laughs> and uh, a, a hair is pretty large. Right? As I look out those giant window, uh, I see a, 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 it was a huge um, snowstorm. <laughs> then, I, then I look back at the screens of the airport. Every flight is canceled. Well, so I cannot really f- make my connecting flight to the school, which was actually located in Central Ohio. So I was stuck. The, the, the first day arrived at the United States, uh, you know, I got locked, uh, locked out, got uh, asked to enter this dark room. Then finally I, I made out. I cannot really make the connecting flight, right? So I have to stay there for nights. Um, but uh, I mean, everything sorted out eventually, but uh, that, that's, that's kind of my first day in the United States, and I don't feel welcome, partially because of my own faults. Then the surprising thing to me is um, I remember those giant cornfields. So when I landed uh, finally at, at Ohio, my mental picture of U.S. is still New York. And that was true for most of the Chinese people uh, 10 years ago, right? Everywhere is New York. Everywhere is skyscrapers. But that's not the case at all. All I see is cornfields. <laughs> so that's what quite surprising to me. Uh, like, this is not what I imagined. Uh, I thought I'm going to the city, not uh, uh, countryside. Um, so that, that's kind of my first impression of the United States. Surprising, I guess. Yeah. But also kind of dark. <laughs> To start my journey. Sounds like a yeah. rough and long day for you. Yeah, yeah. So did you stay? The, did you stay in O'Hare Airport? See? Yeah. So I, I, di- I didn't finish that that story, but uh, basically, I the I think it was United Airlines, and they gave me a free night of hotel. Yeah. But since I was only seventeen, I cannot really have a hotel room on my own. Uh, so there was some some kind of fuss about it. Then some random guy offered to be my guardian, which is pretty funny. Yeah. Well, so it's like this country as a whole didn't welcome you, but uh, the stranger, the kind stranger, helped you out. I, I, in my mind, that didn't really balance out the unwelcoming <laughs> feeling. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's fair. I remember my version of the story. Uh, everything worked out fairly smoothly, but I, I think Seed, you and I both had a maybe a little bit of a utopian view of what the U.S. is like, because I've just heard so many positive things about the U.S., right, before coming here. So everything I've thought about is this glossy Hollywood, you know, like everyone's super uh, fit and attractive, everything's super shiny and expensive uh, kind of expectation. And uh, prior to that, I'd been to Amsterdam, I've been to Spain and uh, to the UK. And for the most part, there's a lot of cool things there. And I kind of had a high expectation for like what the US, the US must be even better, right? Uh, And I remember uh, landing in New York and being on this shuttle that took us from JFK back to Lafayette College, which is in Easton, Pennsylvania. (laughs) And on the way, we drove through the streets of New York. And I remember thinking, wow, the infrastructure here is terrible. Like there's potholes all over the road. Everything's super dirty. I was on the subway one time in New York in one of my first weeks there. It like stank of urine. Uh, everything's <laughs> super dirty. One thing always uh, surprised me is uh, every time I go to New York, it just somehow manages to get dirtier and dirtier. <laughs> every time. 
So to recap what we said earlier, right? I think, Cam, you said home was um, the places, the food, music, uh, smells that can give you flashbacks, right? Uh, so is home defined by familiarity and memories? Yeah, I think for me, um, the clo- if, if really I have to force a soundbite, it's all about people. Uh, it's all about where my parents are, where my, not even friends, I think basically where my parents are <laughs> is what I would qualify as home nowadays. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the famous adage, you know, home is where the heart is. Yeah, that's where that's uh, what uh, Su Shi wrote, right? Xing'an yep. Zhichu Shi Wu Xiang. Yeah. Mm. I think he stole it from the Americans. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but sure. <laughs> the main question for today that I'd like to dig into a little is the past, present, and future of home. And I think this is a uh, a topic that I think there's a million ways to, to get into. Uh, but to give us a little bit of background here, right? If you really look at on the sort of the chronological or the time dimension, uh, I went on Wikipedia because I, I know how to do good research. Uh, Professor Cam is probably wagging his <laughs> fingers at me. That's um, right. We don't use Wikipedia in my classes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like any professor, uh, you do not love Wikipedia as a source to cite. Um, so Wikipedia defines home as uh, a space used as a permanent or semi-permanent residence for an individual, group, or family. It is a fully or semi-sheltered place that can have both interior and exterior aspects to it. So, in short, Wikipedia's definition is home is a structure, a place, uh, and generally tends to be a shelter. And I think shelter is actually a pretty good definition for it because um, our listeners probably can't see this, but uh, we, in our show notes... We have uh, the character for home in Chinese, which is jia, right, uh, spelled out here. And I guess the best way to describe it is there's kind of a cover over everything, which is the shelter aspect. There's a cover like a roof over your head. And under the shelter is the ancient character for a pig. I can't claim to fully understand why exactly it's not a person, uh, but I suppose a, a shelter and some pig uh, under it is home. Yeah, I think it's trying to describe that uh, you can only call home home if you can provide for your family, right? So the the pig is, is kind of the the source of meat and the source of providing uh, for the family. And and Hanson Hanson and I were discussing. It's so it's so funny. So um, this character shown here is in Xiaozhuan, which is like the almost I can I think almost the most ancient uh, like a readable Chinese character before that is is Oracle right Jagu one uh, but this is pretty much the this exact same character uh, as the modern version of this uh, uh, Jia this character so this hasn't changed for thousands of years which is in itself is, is really surprising and maybe that's that's trying to signal to us uh, home is something that can withstand the time, right? It's something meant to be permanent, uh, meant to be the last grounds uh, of, of reassurance, in a way. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting you said that. I, the thought that came to my mind was, you know, to your point, it kind of looks like the same as it does a couple thousand years ago, but it's also evolved and changed a bit too. You know, and so perhaps to your point, one of the... New, newer definitions of home is, yeah, it is that, but it also evolves. 
over time. Yeah, the main thing you changed is that cover, that that shelter part uh, shrinked. Probably that is uh, saying the the price of price of uh, home purchasing is going. That's right. Quite expensive nowadays. That's you cannot right. afford it. So <laughs> the land gets smaller and smaller. Uh, and so, you know, when you when you look at home uh, as defined by Wikipedia, uh, historically, the earliest homes of humans that we know of uh, tended to be caves or natural shelters that our ancestors called home and, and used as their residence. And we have been talking a little bit about the evolving definition of home for us personally. I want to talk a little bit about the future of home. And I think, Cam, you brought, it, brought up this interesting point, right? When you zoom out uh, to the world and zoom out to multiple generations, uh, and when you trace that, really zoom out even farther, while all of us are homo sapiens and our ancestors branched out and you know went all over the world, I suppose that just like us, you know, traveling far, there's always been a s- small proportion of people who kept moving uh, and kept populating new areas and calling new places home. So when you really zoom out on the time dimension, I think you start to see the trend of we first came from the same place and then we spread out across the globe. Uh, And then the lack of communication and lack of transportation made us isolated communities all across the world. And we formed our own cultures, our own languages. And now we live in a world where communication and transportation is improving to the point where it becomes trivial to travel internationally for a decent proportion of the population. So for, as far as we could tell, thousands, if not millions of years, we've lived on this rock that we call Earth, right? There's been a hard boundary to what home could be. But I'd like to think that we are on the cusp of something new, that within a few generations, we'll really see people start to really branch out uh, and not just be a tourist in space, but rather be a resident outside. And are you guys familiar with the pale blue dot? Uh, which is a poem by Carl Sagan. Sagan. Yeah, I found this because it explicitly mentioned home and I thought it was uh, an interesting quote. But the pale blue dot, uh, for our listeners who are not familiar, is in reference to a photograph that was taken by, I believe, Voyager 1, one of the spacecrafts that we sent out uh, at the time, the farthest away from Earth. And it turned around on its journey so that it could face its camera towards Earth. And then it took one final photograph of Earth Uh, before it traveled too far to be able to photograph Earth. And the Earth was uh, this tiny, pale blue dot in a sea of stars and other objects. It was so insignificant that if you didn't have an arrow pointing at it, you wouldn't know that was home. And Carl Sagan wrote, Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, Everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and our suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, Every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in sunbeam. And I I just remember feeling deeply touched by this definition of home. And I personally look forward to when that definition changes. 
Yeah, I mean, as a as a person who studied physics,、uh, when I first heard that quote,、uh, I think recommended by my, my by my mentor,、uh, was pretty touched as well.、Uh, so you know, your reading is also pretty beautiful, touching, sanguine, I would say. But you know, as a cynic, so yes, one direction is <laughs> we can go to this Carl Sagan inspired、uh, future where. You know, we move to a different planets. We look back.、Uh, we unite. We realize we'll come from the same pale blue dots, right? But I think we also have to remember that we are pretty select, selective group of people, right?、Uh, or privileged, you know, way.、Mm-hmm. While we are talking about the pale blue dots,、uh, a lot of people are still believing Earth is flat. And、uh, as I can see,、um, the in recent news. The world is also, in a way, getting very divided, right?、Uh, yes, we are more connected,、um, but we are also building echo chambers everywhere, right? So I can I can also see another version of the future is this ver- this definition of home gets even more segregated,、uh, gets even more extreme. We're、mm-hmm. using our own home against other people's home, right?、Um, So I can I, I think this can go both ways, right? We can either go to this very dreamy version of future, which、uh, is where I want to be, but I can also see the risk of、uh, we just fuck this whole plan up. Nice, nice and cynical, very on brand, Seed. <laughs> What about you, Cam? What do you think of、uh, the future of home, the the far future, if you will? Where do you think it'll go? I think it's a great question. Hopefully, our our listeners will will take note and and kind of have their own reflection. But no, I think, you know, Seed brings up an interesting point, and you know, I definitely see it here. Of course, you see it in the media. But you know, I I think ultimately, you know, in many ways, we are driven to carry forward an ever advancing civilization. You know, whether that's hey, we need to improve,、uh, you know, a simple supply chain process to make things more efficient, or hey, we need to fix this part of the government, or hey, we need to. You know, like an Elon Musk. Hey, we need to go to the stars because you know I think that's an inherent drive we have. And I, I'm a, I'm far more optimistic, to be honest,、um, on basically the the future of humanity. I, I think it's it's not only probable for world peace, but it is inevitable.、Um, and the reason I think that, in many ways, and it, you brought this up, kind of you know as a globe, the globe, quote unquote, is our home. We see. There are multiple challenges, of course, but we see also, I would argue, a global consciousness around multiple things, right? Whether it's climate change,、um, peace versus war, you know,、um, that there are important things to spend money or to do things on versus not. And this didn't really happen, I would argue, even 50 years ago.、Um, and fortunately, we're being pushed closer. To, now I. I、um, I definitely agree with Seed that we will have an incredible challenge to get there. You know, I I I've heard it likened to the transition between adolescence to adulthood. Right, it's a very turbulent period, and I think that's where we are now, where we realize we can't kill each other、hmm. because we have the, we definitely have the capacity to do that. But there's no let's be honest, there's no fun in doing that.、Um, and so I think a lot of it also is now how do we do this?、Uh, and as and I can just tell you. As a father looking at kids, they see the world differently, and they see it far more in a global manner than I would, right? Or maybe even you would.、Um, and I think that will continue to 
deepen as the generations go forward. In the first Transformer movie, <laughs> they're heading to the Hoover Dam, and um, um, and of course, the guy's name I completely uh, the the truck. Uh, Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime. Thank you. Yes, where he he basically says a quarter of humanity, saying, you know what, they're they're still a young species, but they're gonna figure it out, and and I think that's ultimately very true, right? Our salvation ultimately is in our unity. We're realizing that we have to be unified. We don't know how to do it. We still piss each other off. Um, and to be honest, I view much of this in the terms of uh, of a marriage. People discuss challenges between different nations. I'm like, but we're all married. You know, uh, Kishore Mabubani, who's, a, who's an amazing um, uh, thought leader out of Singapore, former ambassador to the UN, you know, he likens humanity to being, you know, almost 200 nations on the same boat, right, where the captains are fighting on the direction versus 100 years ago where there were almost 200 nations all in their other, all in various boats hitting each other. And I think that's a prescient um, example of where we are going. So. Uh, will there be challenges? Absolutely. Uh, will there be some hiccups? Of course. But I'm ultimately very bullish. I think we're already seeing the foundations of the unification of mankind, to be honest. Um, and I don't think I'll see it in my lifetime. My children might not see it, but maybe my grandchildren. And ultimately, then the home, to your point, and, and with Carl Sagan, becomes our planet, right? And then we become an interplanetary species. Yeah, so with, then we can find new things to hate each other. Actually, I actually, I think it's, I think it's reverse. I think then then we'll really start to accelerate, because then we'll start meeting other species. Once we conquer unity, right, the sky really is the limit because the challenges we'll have will not be so much on each other, right, in terms of nations or bodies. There will still be challenges with each other. I mean, with people and all that other stuff. But in general, the challenges far more they become much different challenges, right, for the next you know, whenever the future generations, but the challenge of uh, disunity, you know, um, the chaos going on right now, that won't be the challenge. Yeah, Cam, I think that's super eloquently put. Uh, I'm going to quote this and frame it. Our salvation is only in our unity. When people talk about U.S.-China, that's what I talk about. You want to fix the world's problems, the U.S. and China have to do it because nobody else can so either you're going to fuck everything up to seed's point or you won't. And I just have too much confidence that, uh, that we won't. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So seems like Cam is very bullish on marriage in general. Yeah. <laughs> you should get married and have 20 kids. I mean, the world needs more. The world population is plateauing guys. You know, you should get I, I to totally, it. I totally agree with the analogy that, uh, all the countries that are in marriage, especially the U.S. and China, let's just hope we don't get a nasty divorce. Like, um, oh, it's impossible. I, I, as I said, I, I have a long talk about this, and one of my that I actually give to people, like about the impossibility. And then I actually, um, I actually go into why you know we should be thankful for Apple and Tesla, you know, and TSMC because TSMC creates the buffer that everybody needs in a marriage. And then Apple and Tesla are so <laughs> integrated into both sides supply chains that nothing can ever happen. Right, because then it will basically destroy the world economy and all the country anyway. So I, anyway, you get the point. You can cut all that out. There. So we don't want to. No, that's, that's not a home. That's not a home podcast per se. No, but that, that, that's what we want to uh, diverge. <laughs> I would love to hear more about this, Cam. Uh, if you could uh, share a link with us, I'd also love oh, to put it's it never in the published. for our listeners. It's never uh, published. Well, maybe yeah. we'll have to do another. Oh, you can you can uh, you can use the link. Uh, my Seeb's talk that's on link uh, that's on uh, YouTube. It talks a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. 
but yeah, I have a much greater detail one. Usually it's to professionals and supply chain guys who are always bitching about we need to couple and move everywhere. And I'm like, no, you're looking at this completely wrong. You know, so. Yeah. So Cam is very bullish about the future. Very bullish. I think we're going to have a lot of problems, but I'm bullish. Right. Uh, There's going to be some growing pains, but we as a species are at our sort of adolescence of a global civilization. And yep. unity is inevitable and unity is necessary. It's coming whether we like it or not. I was being a cynic just for the sake of it, right? I, I'm also I'm also in general pretty bullish. That's the reason why we started this broadcast, right? Just mm-hmm. talk to people with different backgrounds. Um, I do want to mention this last question, if I may. So do you guys think in a way that this sense of belonging or home is a little bit outdated? You know, mm. so I was reading, I was listening to this this book. I think it's called The Crowds. It's a pretty old book now. It's pretty popular, uh, and uh, it was talking about when an individual think think of himself or herself uh, belonging to the crowds. Basically, the whole rationality of being an individual is taken away. The the famous example the author used is uh, French Revolution, right? So that is actually. A very strong version of sense of belonging, right? It's not home, but you feel you belong to the crowd, to the group, right? And that's kind of the danger of, of that bond growing too strong. Like, what, what do you guys think of uh, the sense of belonging turning into the herd? And I, I see a lot of that going on in, in recent news headlines, right? It's interesting to see to your point. I actually think there, you know, what is the problem in the world? Really, when you when you boil it down, it's basically the lack of unity. When you look at U.S. politics, it's us versus them. It's Democrat versus Republican. It's a very partisan, disunifying uh, situation. And so I actually think, um, building on what you said, that there is a movement or will be a movement focused more on unity, um, whether it's you know mankind as one, unification of the human race, whatever you want to discuss. I think that is actually what's going to happen. Because everybody everywhere in the world, you know, I travel all around Asia, Asia, we all have the same problems. I travel around the Americas and Europe, everybody is bitching about the exact same issues. And so how are we going to fix that? Well, you need a movement or an ideology or a religion that basically um, teaches everybody how to do that. Um, now, some would say that's very dangerous and so on. Eh, maybe. But I think when you ultimately look at how do we get out of it, we have to have a shared something. Um, And I think when you share, you know, kind of as you said earlier, Hanson, about, you know, we all came from the same place already. The fact that, you know, we kind of evolved differently in our cultures and how we did things is fine. Now we're starting to learn again that we are the same species and we are all on the same planet. And, you know, what happens in the States affects everywhere else and what happens in China affects everywhere else. So we have to together or our salvation is in the unification of the human race. And so how does that come about? Uh, I think it has to be an ideology or something bigger than any one person, per se. So not to be pushy, but I do want to dig a little bit. But I mean, I'm sure that's what every religion preaches, right? Uh, at the root of it, it is, is unity. Is, uh, this is the common way. Everybody has their own version of unity. It's not unified, in the versions of unity they want? Ah, excellent question. The Ten Commandments have been the same since they were written. There has been no change. What changes with each 
manifestation of prophet is the social teachings, right, that come along, right? And so when you talk about today's world, what, you know, the Ten Commandments is the same today as they were 3,000 years ago. But what is different today? Today, the focus of humanity is on unification. It is, how do we unify? Well, we know we need good education. We know we need to treat people the same, right? We know that women are just as impo an important component as men in any endeavor, regardless of where it is or what, you know, what it is, those kinds of things. And when you have that kind of, again, shared understanding, particularly to younger generations, they will start to collaborate and unify in ways that even a generation ago were seemed impossible, right? I remember as a kid, we thought that the Iron Curtain was going to be around for 100 years, if not more. And it fell when I was 10. So I don't, I don't know the solution as well. But uh, I think at least part of the solution is to have more people like Cam, right? Who can, who can, uh, who can see it from different perspectives. And uh, I hope when I'm as old as you, as distinguished as you, I can still remain as helpful. You have to work at it. And part of my work is I, you know, I do you know, study religious texts. I do study and read a lot on just kind of how things are moving in different directions. Because otherwise, yes, you, I mean, you could jump out of this uh, 30 floor window here pretty easy, which is the <laughs> daily barrage of nonsense you get. So you got to work on it. That's my advice. As, as the professor to, to two uh, potential students, you got to work on it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Cam, thank you very much for taking your time today uh, and sharing your insights. And uh, thanks for giving us a little bit of hope and uh, confidence for a brighter future. Conversations like these, I, I personally really enjoy. I'm sure C does as well. And I think we're building really valuable connections in and of it itself uh, with this conversation. And we hope that some of our listeners will find some inspiration. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. And gentlemen, thank you for the great discussion. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I would love to uh, invite you back sometime because there are so many sides of you want to dig into. Oh, that's true. I mean, I'm, I'm available. You know, it's one of the better. I can't travel anywhere, so may as well get online. So, well, thanks, guys. <laughs> no wonderful show, and thanks for making me a part of it.